Today I want us to uh, do this verse together. Uh, we're in Micah 6, 8. You can turn to it if you want to. But uh, I want us to say the address together, in other words, Micah 6, 8, and then the verse together. Um, and then I want us to take just a moment and think about it. I want to talk about this verse. This is one of my favorite verses, and I thought it would be one that you would like. Let's, uh, let's say it together. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Amen. Amen. You know, this verse kind of outlines some Christian parameters for us. It tells us really what the Lord wants us to do. It's just real clear, real plain. Uh, It it just kind of lines it out so that we could follow our risen Savior. What Micah is doing here is answering the questions that some people had, sincere people, people that were searching for something spiritual. They were in the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were in spiritual darkness. And they wanted to know more about God. They had not been taught any of the word of God. They wanted to know how they were supposed to come before God. What were the steps? Do I need to wear a certain thing? Do I need to go to a certain place? Do I need to raise my head at a certain level? Do I need to look down? What do I need to do? That's what they were asking. All kinds of questions about how to be closer to God. They wanted to know whether they should bring burnt offerings. They didn't know. They wondered whether they should bring periodic financial uh, offerings. They didn't know. They even wanted to know, well, This sounds unbelievable to us. They even wanted to know if they should bring their young children as living sacrifices to this God. They didn't know. They wanted to learn. They wanted to grow. They wanted to draw closer to God Almighty. And Micah answers all of their questions. None of these things that we have mentioned, were the things that God requires. External religion without a personal internal experience, without the reality of God on the inside of our heart, our mind, our soul, is absolutely valueless. There must have been a rebirth in some of these folks. Because they drew nigh unto the Lord. Micah was his prophet. He preached to them, taught them, led them. A new nature is given to the individual when they take those kinds of steps. Externalities are not important. God never begins with the external. You know, years and years and years after this, of course, the Pharisees would come on the scene And all they knew was that which was external, the outside. That's all they cared about. How did they look? Did they have on all the right vestments? Did they have enough uh, candles? Did they have enough of this? Did they have enough incense? The externalities were the things that were so important to them. 
They wanted to do all of that right. But of course, the inside was wrong. Jesus was more critical of the Pharisees, the scribes, than anybody else. Because they did not do the things which were pleasing unto the Lord. Now, if you want to know God and what he takes delight in, what he requires of man, this verse will tell you. I want us to consider this verse carefully this morning and in detail. These are the three things that God requires. You are to do justly. Justly. That is, you have to have, must have, a righteousness to present to God Almighty. You must be a righteous person. You are to be just in your dealings with your fellow man. You're not to be a crook. You know, in in a town like uh, ours, if somebody's a crook, the, the word spreads. And that person's influence and witness is totally ruined. It's not worth anything. Well, you want to be a righteous person. You are to be just in your dealings with your fellow man. You are to be honest and true. Honest and true. Secondly, you are to love mercy. Mercy. You are not only to love the mercy of God, but also to be merciful to those with whom you interface on a regular basis. Those with whom you live, your neighbors, your friends, your associates, here, there, and yonder. And three, you are to walk humbly with thy God. How are you going to do that? How are you going to walk humbly with God? Can you do these things in your own strength? Do you think that you can do them without God's help? Don't tell me that you live by this moral code if you don't have the power of God within you. You cannot, for the very simple reason that these three steps, these three modalities of worship are things that you can only do if you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, of course, is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faith. It is It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to be meek as you come before the Lord and to have self-control of your own life. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. All three of these things, which Micah lists, are the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those that were questioning him. Let's not be hypocritical when it comes to this verse in Micah that tells us that we are to walk humbly with God. Early in our lives, none of us sought after God. We wanted God to come and search us out. We wanted God to, to, to search for us every day and to honor us and to bless us and to say that we were wonderful. We wanted God to come to us on our terms, not on his terms. If you believe that your church membership or your character or your good works are going to get you to God, then 
may I say to you that you are bypassing God's way. Now, those three things are important. I think church membership is important. I think everybody's not a member ought to join. I really do. I think we need to cast our lot with the people of God. I think that's very important. That's biblical. I think our character is very important. This is what we're trying to do as we worship week by week and as we study our Bible week by week. We're trying to grow in character, in the likeness and image of our Lord. And then these good works, those are important. Those are usually demonstrated by those that have already come to a close walk with their Savior. The Lord said, and this is the way that he wants us to go, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now those other things are important, but they're not the road. They're not the single way to our risen Savior. If you can get to God by this route, by these three steps that we have just mentioned, by doing justly, by loving mercy, by walking with God, and you think, if you think you can do that on your own, you think you can do that all by yourself, when you get to heaven, then you could just ask God to move over. (laughs) You know, you don't need him. You can tell him that you don't want to share Uh, the throne with him that you got there by yourself you didn't need him but my friend God says that he does not share his glory he doesn't share it he's not going to share it with you he says here uh, that he's not going to move off of his throne that throne's for him that throne was made for him not for us Doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with God are things which God requires. We're just kidding ourselves and we uh, claim that we can do all these things by ourselves without him. We can't. Why not just be honest with God? Why don't we do that? Why don't we just, you know, as we read this verse together this morning, why don't we just come before the Lord and just speak like that to him and say, Lord, I... I want to kind of get it out in the open here. Uh, I'm a sinner. I've been a sinner all my life. And I'm doing things that are not pleasing to you. And I've come to realize that those things might not be right. And I want to get them right. And I want to be right. And I want you to help me be right. Now, you don't have to do that. But it would be good for you. And the Lord would love to hear you say those kind of things. Instead of climbing onto a psychiatrist's bench, why don't you, instead of talking to the psychiatrist, talk to God? He can do a lot more than the psychiatrist can. You know, there are people all over America, by the thousands and thousands and thousands, are going to psychiatrists. And generally, what they do is they give you some medicine that will kind of dumb you down that will make you uh, slower and not, uh, uh, you you know, so agitated. Well, there's a better methodology. You know, if you'll put yourself on your knees before the Lord, you don't have to do for that, and you don't have to pay for it. 
You know, you can just ask God to heal you, to work with you, to bless you, to lead you to a closer walk with him, and he'll do it. He'll do it. Tell him about your hang-ups. Say, Lord, I've got this problem, and I've got this problem, I've got this problem. You know what God wants to do more than anything else is he wants to come down and forgive you. Forgive you of all of your sins. As you trust and believe in Christ, the miracle will be worked. doesn't take very long. It's not very hard. But you've got to mean it when you do it. God wants to give you the righteousness of Christ in your life. What does the Lord require of you? That's how our, our verse starts. What does the Lord require of you? Now, this is not a suggestion. Uh, this is not a multiple choice thing. Uh, the Lord requires certain things. The verb for require here in the Hebrew is an active participle. This verb form shows the action in an uninterrupted state. It neither starts nor stops. Rather, it is continuing. It's always going on. It's showing the action defined by the verb has been going for a long, long time. He has not suddenly shown up with a new set of rules for us. God doesn't operate like that. This has always been God's standard. This has always been the road that he wants you to take. It is characteristic of God to act in that way. This has been his standard throughout history, demonstrated in the Exodus, stated in the covenant, repeated in every generation, and preached by his prophets. It is the basis upon which his chosen people were called and sustained as they began to do these very things that are on the board before you right now. In the remainder of the verse, there are set forth these three standards that we just mentioned earlier. Standards for conduct, standard for belief. Uh, let's look at them again in a more in-depth way. These three principles by which the true man of God will order his daily life. All of them are subsumed in the first word, to do. Or perhaps better stated, to practice. Each of the principles is to be a part of the daily life. Each of these. They are to characterize the conduct of godly men and godly women. What are the three principles? The practice of which God has a right to expect from us, his people. First, there's the practice of justice. Justice. It includes judgment, which means setting right that which is wrong. Do you remember back 10 years ago when you cheated John or Susie or Sally or Joe? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you lied to Harry and you lied to Susie? Do you remember that? There was a wrong that was done, the implications of which maybe even ruined a life. Do you remember that? Well, that needs to be set right. You need to go and talk to that person and confess that and ask for forgiveness. 
You know, some of the wrongs that have been perpetrated here on earth, some of those are, are going to be corrected in glory. As I've mentioned many times, these martyrs that have had their throats slit by the radical Muslims, they're going to have an extra blessing in glory because the wrong wasn't righted here. But when we have an opportunity to right that which has been wrong, we need to take that opportunity that we can do justly, justly. God expects this from every man. There is a very high standard, and it cannot be fulfilled vicariously. It has to do with the daily manner of life and involves the relationship of a man to his neighbor. Only when a man's needs... uh, Only when a man meets this standard can he gain the Lord's favor. This favor never comes until one has discharged his moral obligation to his fellow man. We make it right. That's what we have to do is make it right. Without which one cannot have a right attitude of heart toward God. To state the requirement another way, doing justly means doing what is right and fair among men, being honest in the marketplace, being honest with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your parents. The criterion for the practice of justice is in the heart of God. That's where the model is, in the heart of God. It is God's kind of right doing, and this is the standard by which it is to be practiced among men. In human relationships, one is decide one is to decide what is just, what is right, and then to act upon that, to act upon uh, those credentials. Now, if you're back and forth on an issue, do you ever come to a point in your life and you, you need to make a major decision and you think, well, should I go this way or should I go this way? What should I do? And then a few minutes past, think, well, maybe I ought to go this way instead of going that way. And you think about it. Let me tell you something. For these important decisions in life, you don't have to make them in five minutes. You know, what we need to do when those big decisions come along is we need to take time, maybe get down on our knees, maybe pray for a long time, and then take a break go have a cup of coffee, and then come back and pray some more. You know, maybe we need to stay uh, in prayer until we have a feeling that the Lord wants us to do this particular thing. Another thing that we can do is ask godly people. One of the things I I love about our church is that we have a lot of godly people in here. You know, if you've got some major decision you're about to make, We've got some people here that have been down the very road that you're on. And all you need to do is ask them what their experience was and how they felt like God was leading them. If you go around and ask three or four of the spiritual giants in our church and they all say the same thing, guess what? That's what you ought to do. You know, it's it's not a question. That's what you ought to do. In the second place, God's way requires the practice of a faithful love, a faithful love. 
This is love that is not necessarily deserved. Love that is not regulated by any law. It is love that is bestowed in a gratuitous way. This is the kind of love out of which the covenant came. The covenant between God's people and him in the Old Testament days. When man broke the covenant, God did not quit loving them. He still loved them. He still loved God. And God loved them. So it is with the kind of love that is demonstrated in God's gift in the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. Therefore, God's people are to love their fellow men with God's kind of love. This kind of love, coupled with justice, describes, constitutes social justice. A lot of people today think social justice is just when uh, the government gives lazy people money. Uh, You know, I don't think that's social justice. Social justice is when we understand the justice and the love of God and how we're supposed to demonstrate that, and then we begin to do it. That's social justice. This is the fulfillment of the obligation in a relationship. Even when no law is present, it is done with joy and delight because it's God's way. And as we do it, we know that. We realize that. Third, it is God's way of calling one to walk humbly with your Lord. In modern Hebrew, it means to conduct oneself modestly. Modestly. Micah's use of this phrase is meant to tie the first two together, justice and love. As you tie those two together, then you can do the third. Then you can walk humbly with your God. Only when one is right with his fellow men by practicing justice and faithful love, true love, can he be prepared to walk uh, the walk that the Lord would have him to take. Thus he is not arrogant. He does not act above his neighbor. He is not condescending to men. And he is not demanding of God. Not any of those things. He sees that he is pretty much as all other men are. And he in that state can be properly modest as he stands before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has found the mature grace to live out his life by God's standards. There's another important implication of the practice of walking humbly with our God. There is a joyous, happy, willing submission to God's will, which is revealed as we become teachable. Teachable. You know, the word of God, the verse that's before you right now, that can teach you. The spirit of God, which resides within you when you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, that can teach you, lead you, guide you in the major decisions of your life. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Would you do that this morning? Would you do that this morning?
If there's anybody in the house that's never made a public profession of their faith in Christ, would you do it this morning? There'll never be a better time than these moments to do it. Maybe you were here today under the direction of God. You didn't even know that God was directing you here, but you're here. And maybe you're here for the expressed purpose of giving your heart and life to Christ, making him the boss of your life, letting him forgive you of all your sins and trusting in him as the one that can lead and guide you to glory. Today, perhaps there are some wonderful Christian people that have been visiting with us that would like to come and and join this church and be a part of this fellowship. You'd like to be a part of the ministry that is trying to reach out in evangelism to people, that is trying to support missionaries literally all over the world, that we can help and guide and be a part of the ministry that they're having in that place, leading people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Come and help us. We need your help. Please come today. Join with us. Serve with us during these moments. Let's stand together as we sing. I'll be waiting here at the front.